Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 242, for August 30th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Typeboy mechanical keyboard, closing a flagship site, and then what? Skateboard sounds are either music or torture. More baby formula maker news. Not the bees! I hope this song isn't in Starfield. A boring, irradiated menace, which happens to be my cosplay name. Octopuses rise up. The gathering has begun. NASA surveillance van goes on sale. No thanks, I don't want to be Aquaman. A tourist tries to get stoned in Sardinia. And a Starfield graphics card and CPU auction, which is now over $3,800 or 3600 something like that anyway let's get into all the news that's fit to print just kidding all the news none of the noise this i, I was talking to somebody today about all of the news there's a lot of social news sites but there's like so much cacophony of noise in that right that it's hard to sift through all of that noise and find the the gems that are in there and when you have to rely on the popularity of something then a lot of memes can flow into it so i don't know um it's it's all one of it's many reasons but that's one of the major reasons why i created hometown so that i could manage the news that i was interested in I found that many other people are interested in a lot of the news too. Um, and we ebb and flow sort of the news and sources and whatnot. And I've found a couple more that we're going to be adding. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, stick around. Um, I have actually activated a mechanism to allow citizens of hometown to submit articles um, and or sources. But right out of the gate, spam. Like I fired it up publicly and instantly started getting spam. Isn't that ridiculous? It's like spam arrives before anybody even knows the thing is there. Yep. I mean, I really do liken it to like uh, manufacturing. You, you send off a design for manufacturing and you think that it's going to be held confidential, but then suddenly your product ends up somewhere else and you're like what the hell just happened well anyway out of frustration i actually shut it down <laughs> the, the very same day i fired it up got a bunch of spam shut it down um and so i'm reevaluating because um what i don't want is a lot of high friction in in terms of submitting it um so it might end up being like a certain people if you are interested in submitting sources or articles um then get in touch with me mayor watt you can send an email to mayor at hometown.com um, and uh, we can chat maybe i can make you uh, an editor on the site so that you can actually provide um, interesting news and sources but it's really uh, something that we'll have to discuss just i couldn't tolerate the spam i mean Many, many years ago, I spun up an entire company that was built around stopping spam. 
Um, so it's that level of frustration. I don't want anything unwanted, right? That's just how it is. Uh, I can't handle the noise. I, I want to stop it before it ever gets emitted. And so we'll work on it. Um, and hopefully if you are interested as a citizen of hometown, I can facilitate so that you can submit news and, and, um, sources. So anyway, stick around. You want to get on with the show or do you have something interesting in the world of sentient AI from the future? Well, thanks for setting the bar there. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> so let's go to the articles. It's a slow sentient AI. Well, there's only one sentient AI, so I'm not surprised that there isn't that much news going on. The AI is slow today. <laughs> a slow AI. Mm. Let's get into it. Oh, I totally flubbed that one. So the first article is over in the Wanted channel. And uh, w the Wanted channel was created so that people could um, find gadgets and, and things that are actually wanted. I mean, it's like right there in the title, right? <laughs> but the whole thing is that the marketing, the, the idea for this was that it was going to have a Western motif. And that would that's what the show would be. So, you know, like a wanted and a badge and, and people are out hunting for the uh, stuff. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if that ever comes to fruition. Right now, what it is is a whole bunch of news that gets funneled into a channel. And it, that's a group over on uh, hometown.com. So, and a Discord channel is there too. Eventually, it'll get turned into a show over on YouTube as well and a podcast, just a whole thing. Each each channel, each show is a thing, you know? So if you're interested in gadgets and you want to host it or co-host it, get in touch with me. Okay, so uh, this first article is the mechanical keyboard that runs on Game Boy cartridge shells. And uh, this thing, first off, it's a mechanical keyboard. It's a split mechanical keyboard. It's a split wireless mechanical keyboard. <laughs> So it has it everything good so far. So far, it sounds awesome, right? The only thing is that it it's a flat design. Um, and so you'll see when it, it makes sense when you see it, what I mean by that. But anyway, it says there's nothing like the burst of anticipation when first sliding a game cartridge into its slot. Who would have thought someone would ever bring that nostalgic, uniquely tactile experience to a wireless mechanical keyboard? Not just a wireless mechanical keyboard, folks a split wireless mechanical keyboard does that exist right now um yes. by other companies oh okay oh yeah yeah you, you can make those i mean well that's true but i just meant like can you buy one i know you can buy a mechanical i know you can buy a split i didn't know if that existed together they're they're rare enough that they demand prices 250 bucks or so um and and th that's like entry level because somebody has to hand solder um etc etc they're not really mass produced these types of boards aren't mass produced um i actually reached out to red dragon which is a, a keyboard maker well they make a bunch of stuff but uh so one of my keyboards in front of me which is just a 65 percent keyboard um and it's a bar um it's not a split keyboard so i sent them a request and i said please please whatever you do i really dig your quality um, for these style keyboards, 
please split it in half. And I'm waiting for them to get back to me, but I would love to have a mass produced split keyboard that follows the same tenets as this. And let, let's go and talk about this. I'll let's just jump over to the source. So this keyboard is from arstechnica.com. And um, this is a split keyboard right here, you know, left and right sides. And the thing that you slot in is this right here. And it has a battery pack. Is that the Game Boy cartridge shell? And those are the Game, Go Game Boy cartridges. Yeah. You just slide them in. I mean, I like it from like a reuse uh, standpoint. <laughs> Recycle, reuse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool. I love this idea. Um, meet Flat Foot Fox's Tight Boy with a name ostensibly nodding to the Game Boy. The wireless split mechanical keyboard build has uh, more in common with Game Boy Advance and its purple and gray color scheme. Um, the author says that they've seen mechanical keyboards pay homage to classic Nintendo consoles, classic console games, but uh, and they've even seen uh, a keyboard that looks like a Nintendo console. But this is the first time they've seen a mechanical keyboard that requires a Nintendo game cartridge shell and slot to function. So you basically have to plug in a battery. Um, there may be other functionality, but I didn't catch that right off the start. The wacky idea was inspired by a little beyond the building of an open source cartridge reader and the realization that a keyboard's microcontroller probably fit in a Game Boy Advance um, cartridge. That's all that's needed to send the ever inquisitive mind of a do-it-yourselfer into the lab. Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, so it says right here, what's in the cartridge shell? Flatfoot Fox's blog post provides a detailed look at the type voice creation, and you should check it out if you want all the details or to build something like this yourself. So the type pack includes an 80 milliamp hour LiPo battery and a Seed Studio Zhao uh, RFI microcontroller it's the radio controller that, that allows it to be wireless um, to make room for a USB-C port in the shell the project calls for power tools and patience so you'll have to do some cutting and and uh, maybe 3d printing and purchasing certain boards and all of that but um, you can actually do this right now let me throw the link through ohmtown into chat so you all can go and check this thing out um, but so the only thing that, um, I, I'm not too hip to about this is I, I'm not really hip to flat keys. Um, I like them being more curved and, um, the, the keyboard they clack itself as well when they're like this, I'm sorry. I said, do they clack as well when they're like this? Oh yeah. Yeah. It really depends on the switches. So you can buy. Let me grab one real quick because I've got four of them sitting here. You can buy different kinds of switches. I don't know. We're doing a little ASMR. Um, and um, you can hot Mechanical swap. keyboard ASMR. Tell me about it. You know what? I could probably make a show just about that. There are people that actually do that. Um, live building keyboards for people, custom keyboards, and they get really into it. Like there are people, I tell this to people that um, when I consult and uh, when I do public uh, discussions, public speaking, um, 
if you are passionate about it, you will find somebody that is passionate about it as well. And, and they will embrace you, right? Either as a follower or as a compatriot to find more followers, right? So um, there's a whole video out there from uh, um, a TED talk about em embrace the, the lone nut because that first follower is all right it's like how to start a movement how to start a movement right um and so there are people that are building these keyboards um probably right now on twitch uh and they get really into the springs and and different types of lube to make it make a certain thunk kind of a sound um there's a, i can't remember the name like thorpe it's this there's a particular sound that is when you hear it you know it um and uh i to get to that point though what i've seen is you're talking about like 400 um and a whole lot of labor so and i've got about six keyboards um two of these uh split keyboards um one silent and one loud mechanical one that i periodically um whip out to make everybody very aware of my presence and um Is it it's always fuck yeah yeah there's a sound i can't do it because i don't have that type of gear but these flat keys um can be swapped out pretty easily um and then you want to be able to tent it and tilt it so that you have the ability when you rest your hands for it to be ergonomically sound because our wrist shouldn't be broken like that you need to be relaxed and when you're in fetal position your arms aren't like that they're like that and so when you hold them like that and then tilt them out that's how your hand should be so like that kind of like a 15 to 20 degree angle and and tilted back so that you can just rest your hands on a little mouse pad or something uh keyboard pad and um everything is natural and you're not twisting Otherwise, you get repetitive strain injury or uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, um, which it can be arguably remedied by surgery, but you don't want that. Um, you have a tendency to build up scar tissue and it becomes an ongoing concern. So let's avoid it. Let's just get everybody go out and get a split keyboard. I know it's not easy, but... Um, yeah, but if you don't have to have surgery, it's certainly worth it. Yeah, and while I haven't had to, I've uh, see, I shouldn't say this out loud because it's going to land on me. But I've spent thirty plus years. Well, gosh, I really mm, do. I want to date myself here. Yeah, I'm old, folks. Um, young at heart, uh, old chronologically. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> my humor is still bathroom humor. Um, that said, if I could do it all over, I would have leaned into split keyboards a long time ago, um, because they're just, they're much better for you, um, in the long term. Um, and you won't know it until later in life when your wrists and your fingers, and you start getting these weird pains that can't be attributed to anything in your wrists and fingers. That's RSI, that's carpal tunnel. Um, and, um. There's really no going back. So this is a 3D printed case. You can, can you can tell not I'm sure that there's a description of it. Um, but 
you can see the FDM, the layers of deposition there. And, um, but then these um, keys are probably aftermarket. Uh, but this is kind of my jam. I love mechanical keyboards. I love split keyboards. And then you can customize them to your heart's content. Color, uh, uh, materials. You can actually, like I have little legs underneath mine so that I can tent it and tilt it. And um, Yeah, it, it's pretty awesome stuff. And you can do some pretty wondrous things with these little GPIO connectors. Um, you can add all kinds of functionality so you can control lights and your uh, audio and um, run programs that are inside it so that like a, a tamagotchi inside this little screen and all kinds of stuff it's hey, just that's amazing pretty cool <laughs> yeah just got to learn programming folks just a little bit of programming um or you just download stuff because there's a whole there's a whole world out there just centered around keyboards. I've spent so much time talking about this because I, I really dig this stuff. I don't know. There's there's something about it that really just speaks to me. So um, it says, rather than leave 20% uh, of the tight packs cartridge pins unused, several of the important pins are exposed on both ends of the cartridge edge connector. The battery output, power pins, reset pins, and few others are duplicated so that you can more easily route some of the support hardware on your keyboard uh, PCB. Um, the author says that they can't help but appreciate the subtle but yet striking homage. This do-it-yourself keyboard pays to the Game Boy of yesteryear. Um, and you can actually just go and check it out via GitHub link at the bottom of the uh, article so go and check it out folks let's go on to the next one the next article is over in the mobile channel memphis plant that uh, uses potentially hazardous chemical will close according to a company um, a medical equipment sterilizing plant that used a chemical whose emissions could lead to cancer and other health risks says it uh, plans to close its tennessee location by next spring according to a letter sent by the company to the u.s rep Steve Cohen. Okay, so the first thing that came to mind was, oh, before I get there, uh, Adrian Sands over at Associated Press wrote this. It was published in uh, QZ.com, which is Quartz. Um, the first thing that came to mind is, okay, you're closing the plant, but this is your flagship plant. So where are you sending all of your sterilization uh, contracts and gigs. Exactly. And the other thing that strikes me about this is think about the point of sterilization, right? It's arguably for improved health. And the fact that this <laughs> is the plant that then is creating health issues. I mean, I know it's not really the same thing. It just seems kind of ironic to me. Yeah, it it's, um, Definitely interesting. It's an odorless, colorless gas that is uh, capable of sterilizing equipment. Um, everything, really. Uh, there's like garments and stuff like that get put through this stuff. But if it gets released anywhere, which it's apparently of some concern that even within the plant, people are exposed to it to some degree. Um that uh, apparently they've never been flagged, but they're suddenly closing it. So that where doesn't make any sense to me. Like, has it been inspected? 
Yeah. Apparently. Uh, did um, but they it, not know anything about this and then we suddenly have new science on it or? Well, that that's kind of the thing. What ended up happening was they had a, an understanding that this had some level of toxicity. And then more science came down and showed that it's a little more toxic than uh, what they formerly believed. And so, but now they're closing it. Um, but this being their flagship plant for processing this, I'm really curious where they're putting everything. It says, while short-term or infrequent exposure to ethylene oxide does not appear to pose a health risk, the EPA said long-term or lifelong lifetime exposure to the colorless, odorless gas could lead to a variety of health problems, including lymphoma and breast cancer. Um, they've regulated it for 30 years, but a 2016 study um, revealed that it was more toxic than previously understood. Um, but this is kind of the thing that happens with us um, as humans is we go charging headlong into something that is determined to be profitable um, and then poo-poo anything that downplays the efficacy of this in terms of profits to toxicity. And then we discover more and more people are actually being negatively impacted by it. And then suddenly, oh, we didn't know. Um, but then there's, you know, a smoking gun somewhere that says, oh, yeah, you really knew about this. So what did you see? Well, first of all, they have FDA, or excuse me, not FDA. EPA is targeting 86 sterilization facilities in the U.S. So that's pretty significant. I don't know how many there are, but I don't think there are tons of them to begin with. Um, and I just, I don't know where... Like are like you said, are there going to be other facilities available? I mean, I have a feeling this is going to create a problem in in terms of availability of services. So if you don't, you know, what's the alternative, right? You can't just skip sterilization. I suppose you can. <laughs> it might be bad, but I suppose you can. Um, and and just to make it a abundantly clear everything okay oh weird sorry did that come across yeah uh, you're breaking up you might have to reset um anyway the um the website here says on its own website the the sterilization services uh website said that the memphis plant is the company's flagship location um, with other facilities in Georgia and Virginia. So I guess they're going to be kicking the sterilization uh, services over to these other plants. And hopefully the other plants are already well in compliance with something other than this material because maybe the others are part of the 86 that are being um, targeted. But there's a list. Um, AP News might have the list. Um, it all, it reaches all the way over to Puerto Rico. Interesting. Oh, wow. That is that audio any better? Yeah. Thanks. Um, so let's keep on hustling on to the next article. Uh, this next article is over in uh, mobile, um, experiencing the texture of skateboard sounds can bring or help bridge, sorry, divisions. 
Uh, new research says, experiencing the harsh sounds of skateboarding can help bridge the gulf between the joy and distaste of the noises created by the sport, a new study says. So this article is over in phys.org by University of Exeter. Um, it says here in the article that skate sounds can also help individuals sense and feel the urban environment in new and novel ways. It's because the noise of a skateboarder, depending on who you are, you either love it because you have some nostalgic uh, understanding of what it is. Um, and so you love it or you hate it because it's harsh and grating and that. And you're the, probably not a skateboarder, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Generally. So, yeah, it says uh, skateboarders have a specialized knowledge of the texture of cities and sharing this with the public could help soothe conflict, according to the research. Paying attention to sound can give both sides sonic agency over spaces in the city. This is actually something that I've been uh, from time to time. I talk to the AI about this. Um, in that we don't really appreciate sound for the breadth and depth and the, the scientific um, weight that it can carry. And we just haven't dug deep enough. It's kind of like plumbing the depths of the ocean. The nature of this research is the different sounds that skateboarders make as they go through a, a community and hearing that could bridge between uh, the grating sound of a skateboarder and people in the community going oh that sounds like a skateboard on a sidewalk that doesn't have gravel or um, is made of this material like asphalt instead of concrete or cement or it's quite fascinating so skate sounds are a common basis of complaint from the general public yet these sounds can act as a source of inspiration and joy for participants this has an impact on the planning and construction of skate parks and cities. Complaints about sound can also lead to hostile, costly, and unsightly architecture, like skate stoppers uh, being added to public spaces as a deterrent for skateboarders. So in the study, uh, in the journal, uh, The Senses and Society was carried out by Brian Glenny from Norwich University, Max Boutin from Quebec University, and Paul O'Connor from the University of Exeter. The project involved exploring sensory perception of skateboarding and ethnographic work. So researchers found that the city's coarse uh, textures and materials are actively played with by skateboarders. This is met with celebration by the trained ear of these participants and complaints by some members of the public. Um, so when asked for a phrase to describe skate sound, participants gave particularly severe adjectives, um, including beer bottle on beer bottle, irritant, really harsh, and bones on concrete. They knew skate sound is unpleasant to the public. Sometimes they said they delighted in their power uh, to auditorily disturb, and other times they were conscious stricken. Uh, picking up their boards and walking over particularly coarse noise-making surface. Uh, uh, so I've done this. I've relocated equipment from one place to another. And because I went over something that made it extremely loud, I actually took a circuitous route 
to avoid what could have been just a straight shot in two minutes worth of work, I take 15 minutes and walked a longer path um, with large equipment. So yeah, it was uh, quite interesting to, to become aware of just how painful it could be for others because for me it was i could have gotten the job done faster just going through it but um, that's very um conscious of you conscientious conscientious um well thank you uh skate sounds reverberate in the body of the skateboarder and echo in the ears of those nearby to the tune of the city's textures and materials those adept at feeling and hearing skate sound thus possess specialized knowledge of the city and those without a tuned ear find annoyance and a source of complaint. So there you go, folks. That's interesting because I suspect there are other things like that, but nothing immediately comes to mind, right? It's all in the eye of, are you participating in it? Do you have a positive connotation with it or do you not? Um, yeah, it, it could be, it could be something, uh, a painting, you know, people don't like um, tagging, but I actually have no problem with it. Some of it is quite amazing. Um, music, not everybody loves every type of music. Me, I like a little bit in moderation, uh, you know, all of it in moderation, I should say. Um, and uh, skateboarding is the same way. Obviously, there is a time and a place. I wouldn't be a fan of it if it was sitting there skateboarding at 2 o'clock in the morning and I had a meeting at 3. Um, but it is. I don't is. necessarily see the issue with the sound, though, but I guess I don't hear it frequently. So Yeah. Yeah, sometimes uh, there's a sound that I hear from uh, from a skateboarder, mainly because I've, I've done it, uh, and so I'm very aware of it, which is... <laughs> when the wheels hit the cement really hard and it makes this sonic boom of a clack um that's that's something that can trigger people into telling you to get off their sidewalk get off their lawn but not yeah. really their lawn because then it wouldn't be making a loud sound the equivalent of a public space um not that i have any of that baggage either but anyway let's keep on hustling through the next Articles over in Stock Marketeers, FDA warns three baby formula makers about production violations. We've talked about this before, so I'll make this one quick. The FDA Wednesday sent warning letters to three baby formula makers as part of what the agency called enhanced oversight of a product plagued by recalls and shortages. The shortages are caused by recalls. The recalls are caused by the company seeking profits over maintaining the integrity of the environment of these baby formula manufacturing areas. And because there's only a few manufacturers, when one fails to meet requirements of sterilized space, suddenly the whole market wets the bed. People run out and scoop it all up and then sell it on the black market equivalent. You know, they, they sell it through various means um, at exorbitant prices and people who require this don't have access to it when there's enough that if everybody would just leave it alone, there would be enough supply in the system to afford people who really do need it to get access to it. But this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Greedy bastards. Um, anyway, uh, the article is over in marketwatch.com Claudia. Uh, or Claudia Asus is the author 
I have not been throwing these into um, the chat. So let me go back and do this real quick. You know, I don't know if people get irritated by me doing this back scrolling thing here. Um, but hey, I mean, it just mixes up the order a little bit. I suppose. Keeps you know, people on their toes. Three steps forward, five steps back to catch up with the links. In this case, four. So uh, it says no shortages are expected and the warnings are part of the normal regulatory process, according to the FDA. But you know what? Process, yes. Um, there isn't much more uh, to this article in terms of where I wanted to go with it. Um, and uh, for me to continue scanning through this, I would have to read the, I'd have to sign in and I, I don't sign in while I'm streaming. Um, at any rate, uh, mergers and acquisitions have led to a concentration of who's producing this material and because of that when a violation is found and a plant has to shut down everything that i mentioned before having to back up um, occurs prices go through the roof availability collapses um, we we need as uh, as a society to develop a public formula that is readily available by purchasing raw materials and making it at home. I'm not quite sure how we came to be that you cannot make your own formula at home without drawing the ire or liability that somebody might get terminally ill because you mess up the formula. Um, essentially, if you need baby formula, you're screwed unless it's on the shelf. Um, and I don't know of much other in terms of regular food off the shelf type of things where the FDA and the entire ecosystem around it says, don't do this. Don't try to make your own formula. Don't try to feed your baby unless it's from formula, blah, blah, blah. Um, while I understand the minutia, the rationale behind it, because there's variations between one formula and another, and the, there could be some delicate imbalance that would be, uh, what do you want like put into your baby by giving them the wrong formula. Some have special needs that require a special dietary supplement, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But <laughs> sans any of these special considerations formula really should be readily available to every parent that needs it and not only through a specialized production facility that the moment that water drips from the ceiling the whole damn plant shuts down and 25 to 35 percent of the market collapses uh, that that last one it was something like 50 percent of the market was unavailable because one plant shut down from one manufacturer exactly i mean there's so few manufacturers i still can't believe that one plan did all that but i it was pretty astounding yeah so we'll monitor this some more i'm i'm a big just like the microplastic things i've been very uh, aware of it and and promoting awareness about it this is the same thing uh, but i've talked to people in the industry and they have flat out said you don't want to try and make your own baby formula don't but there are people out there that are trying to come up with a formula um 
uh, like a publicly accessible formula. And um, every time somebody talks about it publicly, they get shut down. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. What have we been doing our entire existence? You know? Well, we haven't been doing baby formula, right? We've been doing breastfeeding. So maybe well, that's the difference. And my concern wouldn't be necessarily that somebody was conscientious following a, a proven right. formula, but there's going to be people that, quite frankly, can't manage just more basic things Right. trying to yeah. do it. Yeah. But it's largely because they don't have the knowledge. I mean, if we create a color by number formula and you do the numbers properly, then everything should be fine. Um, but, but that's uh, a lot of ifs <laughs> and well, a lot yeah. of risk for people who get it wrong. Right. The formula just has to be a little, uh, but it doesn't seem like we're actually investigating this as an open market type of schema. It's very gate kept. Everything is closed. You try and create something and, and somebody says, oh, you're going to end up in prison for crying out loud because somebody's going to get sick. Well, well, right. And then also, I don't feel like companies can really enter the market, right? Because right. these are such large companies currently. I mean, how do you break in when somebody provides like a third of the U.S. all of their baby formula yeah, exactly. from scratch? It has to, somebody has to come in at a low enough price point and meet all of the regulatory captured uh and market like crazy right yeah. like you have to get it into the new hospitals in front of new parents yep on uh, all of the shelves etc good luck good luck if anybody knows of somebody that's just starting out in a business that's doing this i'd really like to know because literally similac and infamil and and what is another one those are the only two i know of even though i know there are three but yeah. i don't even know the name of the third one yeah, we'll come back. Uh, we'll we'll yeah, talk about know. this again. It's been a while. Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Be alert. As in, be alert. Five million bees fall off a truck near Toronto and drivers are asked to close windows. Not the bees. Police okay, this West is five million bees. <laughs> yeah, five million bees. It was That's only like two hives. Just kidding. I don't know how many hives <laughs> it actually is. Um, police... West of Toronto warned drivers to keep their car windows closed after a truck spilled crates carrying 5 million bees onto a road. Crates might be the wrong term. Hives is probably the right term, but let me throw this into the chat real quick. If you are in chat and lurking and have any questions or comments, feel free to throw them in chat. Um, By I'll the way, ask... that would be 250 hives potentially at the low end. Oh, really? Yeah, let's or at the high out. end of the number of hives. Let's go check out the source here. Um, abcnews.go.com. Put this article together. It's from the Associated Press. The deck statement says police west of uh, Toronto warned drivers to keep their car windows closed after a truck spilled crates carrying 5 million bees onto the road. This uh, They have a picture of a beekeeper, uh, Terry Filoni. Uses her hand to remove bees from a car after a truck carrying beehives swerved on Gulf Line Road, causing the hives to fall off and release the bees in Burlington. It might be, I don't know, maybe they have it, they pronounce it differently in, in Ontario, but anyway. Um, what's really interesting about bees, if you don't know it, the bulk of them are drones. 
um, inside the hives and they don't sting. They just hang out. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of foragers that fly out. Those will sting you. Um, but as long as you don't piss them off, you know. This person's pretty brave, though. I think I'd be sitting in my car waiting for the bees to depart. And apparently you kind of become immune to it. Um, if you get stung enough, you're like, oh, I got stung again. I'd probably go into anaphylactic shock and fall over, but... Then again, I and, and I didn't realize that was a beekeeper. Never mind. I thought it was just some person that was taking oh, them off. I the said wind. it's a beekeeper. <laughs> um, so crates were literally on the road, and swarms of bees were flying around. Said Constable Ryan Anderson, the initial beekeeper that was on scene was apparently stung a few times. Eh. <laughs> they <laughs> they call that Monday. In, in this case, I think it was Wednesday. Um. Anyway, by around 9.15 a.m., police said most of the million, 5 million bees had been safely collected and crates were being hauled away. Some crates had been left behind for the uncollected bees to return to them on their own. Um, and so it says here, a colony of honeybees in summer has around 50 to 80,000 bees. That's one colony, according to the Canadian Honey Council. <laughs> Canadian Honey Council. I love that. Just sounds adorable, huh? All right, let's keep on going. We've got more news that you can use. So this next article is uh, about um, Starfield. And, <laughs> oh, I listened to this song, and I hope that it's not in the in the game. But anyway, um, Warcrafters is where this is housed. Um, it's actually over at PC Gamer. Um, Bethesda commissioned an official Starfield song from Imagine Dragons, and if you guessed it rhymes high with sky, you are correct. In the never-ending quest for more eyeballs on its stuff, Bethesda Softworks has enlisted, has enlisted talents of award-winning pop uh, rock group Imagine Dragons to create a song for Starfield called Children of the Sky. Um... It's not the worst collaboration between a game studio and mainstream wow. musician uh, I've ever heard. That isn't the name of the song that I listened to, by the way. Um, it's the one that's attached to this article. Anyway, um, it, it, it's not the worst collaboration between a game studio and mainstream musician that they've ever heard. That's the author speaking. But that's uh, at least in part because they're old enough to have a clear recollection of something called hope for the future that is the one that i've heard and i hope that it is not in this uh, it was a song written for destiny and the author says to be blunt it's not good and made <laughs> worse by promotional um, linking to uh, the game so here's my deal with this it's a song and um while it'll be okay for it to be streamed in one place, it won't be in another place. And so I kind of get painted into a corner about playing it. Even if I'm talking over it, even if I'm uh, the audio portion of it, I just can't play because I'll get a DMCA strike. Um, so the author, Andy Chalk, over at PCGamer.com says, uh, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard, but it is kind of baffling um i'll end up listening to this song later uh, but i urge you go ahead and go over there and listen to it and you can tell me in chat um if uh 
if y'all like it. Um, in the never it's ending, it's just such a ringing endorsement, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I hope that it's not in there, or the rights allow people to stream it because if you can't play all of the music in a game in a stream, you'll get DMCA takedowns and. I freaking hate the DMCA because it's not a scalpel. It's treated like a battering ram um, and it can ruin people's future, um, at least in terms of streaming, right? Um, it says, yeah, anyway, that's true. Back to the matter at hand. Um, Children of the Sky is a very Imagine Dragons song to the extent that if the author didn't know that it was written for Starfield. They would simply think, hey, it's a new Imagine Dragons song. Bombastic and offensive and goofy in equal measure. So um, I'm, I am not so brave at this point uh, in my career online uh, that I will charge headlong into playing this song come hell or high water. Um, uh, my attorney. Well, it's not worth it, I don't think. My attorney uh, says that it's pretty cut and dry when <laughs> when they uh, when they come a call in that there's a copyright violation. Um, when it's when I'm playing an actual commercial song and I don't have the sync rights, then I can end up in trouble. So um, I'll jump out of an airplane. I'll dive to uh, 180 feet. Um, but no, I, I will, I, I'm still, I mean, shy. that must be very terrifying if based on that. Oh yeah. You, you just don't poke the bear. At least not yet. I'll wait until I'm, you know, streamer rich, right? Let's go That's on to the right. next, let's go on to the next article. I'll be playing Starfield tomorrow, by the way. Um, loading it up at eight o'clock. Still have to do the show at 9 p.m. Eastern, but after the show, I'm going to be playing until the wee hours of the morning. Um, then I have meetings on Friday, um, periodically throughout the day, uh, but I'm going to be streaming. Um, anyway, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Nuclear weapons turned wild boars into an irradiated menace, study finds. Nuclear weapons tests that took place in the mid-20s, uh, 20th century, that is, um, are still a major source of radioactivity in Germany's wild boars, accounting for anywhere from uh, 10 to 68% of contamination in meat samples from these animals, reports a new study. The discovery could help uh, to explain why wild boars have remained so much more radioactive than other species in their ecosystems. Uh, which is a long-standing problem known as the wild boar paradox. Previously, scientists assumed this radiation was almost entirely produced by the catastrophic meltdown of the Chernobyl nuclear reactor in 1986. But new research shows that it's weapons that may have played a role in this. Uh, Becky Ferreira over at uh, Vice.com put the article together. Uh, German boars, which are overpopulated, are so irradiated that they're not safe to eat. Now we know why nuke tests. So, you know, uh, of all the things I would be worried about encountering a boar, I'm not sure this would be one of them. I just want everybody to know that irradiated menace is my cosplay name. <laughs> um, 
and uh, the thumbnail for this show over on uh, YouTube will be reflective of such. So um, be sure to swing by there and check it out. Um, total side note. So the discovery could help explain why the wild boars have remained so much more radioactive. I don't understand how that could be because it's not like radioactivity is genetically bound to offspring. Right. Could the radiation actually transfer over to the offspring and then the offspring, I mean, like the, because they're being irradiated by their parents. I guess they could like damage the DNA. But I don't see why the radiation would continue. I mean, I could see for a little while because the offspring are being bombarded by radiation while they're. Oh, I see. Right. Like if uh, the the parent is bearing the young while the event is happening or. Um, or even because they're irradiated, they right, right. Okay, yeah, proxy irradiate that. their offspring. And then, yes. but you would think that it would diminish really fast because it's like breaking out really fast. But maybe this half-life information is, is Rando. why this is, right? So, Rando Taka, um, is it okay for me to repeat what you say in chat? I always ask before I... Um, say what somebody says in chat and then from now on i'll either will or won't uh awesome thank you rando um so rando has some regional understanding of this i believe um because you're in germany right i think um so they eat the mushrooms shrooms and mycelia and it's irradiated so because of the material around the nuclear tests is still irradiated they're still consuming the radiation i see okay so and i know that from not just rando saying it but on islands that have been part of nuclear tests the plants and soil are still irradiated um and so yeah i didn't consider that you know when i was thinking about it so I guess if the plants are still growing and they're hot, then everything that consumes right. it's going to be like hot. it keeps perpetuating. Yeah. Wow. So this is. <laughs> we have an expert. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Randa. Um, and thanks for hanging out and chat. Really do appreciate you stopping by. That's awesome. Um, so it says wild boars are the bizarre exception to this rule. Radiocesium levels in these animals have remained constant, a puzzling fact that rendered them unsafe to eat and has thus contributed to the rampant overpopulation of boars across Europe uh, as demand for their meat has plummeted. Now scientists co-led by George Stanhauser and Ben uh, Bin Fang, I flipped those letters, Ben Fing, um, it's Ben Fang, um, who are radiochemists at Vienna University of Technology, have discovered that much of this persistent contamination can be tracked back to nuclear weapons testing. The findings suggest that multiple sources of nuclear fallout can vastly surpass the impact of any singular yet dominant source and illustrates that strategic decisions to conduct atmospheric nuclear tests 60 to 80 years ago still impact remote natural environments, wildlife, and human food source today. Um, so I'm going to scroll through this really fast and see if there's something else in here. 
because um, they talk about it might have been from Chernobyl, um, but they actually changed their perspective. The results suggest that different sources of radiocesium can interact in the soil, potentially extending the lifetime of the contamination. They said it's like a snowball effect. The sources mixed together and became a new source that can get stronger. This is the reason we think why cesium contamination is so strong and persistent. So why bores? After all, radioactivity from weapons tests around the world affects everyone. Scientists have determined that wild boars are particularly vulnerable to consuming mixed source contaminants because they rely on ground food source, uh, underground food sources, especially truffles, which become radioactive hotspots as cesium sinks into the soil. Underground truffles. Look at that. I would not have known, <laughs> except for our expert. <laughs> yeah. Very good, Rando Taka nailed that one that's pretty interesting um you know in all the years that i've been in germany and and come back to the states and then go back to germany uh, i know people there and nobody has ever not that it comes up in casual conversation you know hey how are the boars in germany doing um, but they're actually, this, they're talking about this as being a, a knock-on effect from Chernobyl. Um, but it's a little bit more involved than that. And it's all focused on <laughs> truffles. So I wonder if I need to get my truffles tested now um, and see if they're irradiated. Because then I'll know where they're coming from. I mean, I can only help. Man. When somebody says that the truffle market is hot, I don't think this is what they mean. <laughs> Sometimes it's boring. I'm leaving. Let's keep going. The next article is over in the mobile channel just off California. Octopuses are converging by the thousands and here's why. Um, it's always come up in conversation, like, isn't the plural of octopuses, plural of octopus, octopi, but apparently it is firmly octopus. It should be octopi, but anyway. <laughs> it was the last hour of a 30-hour drive nearly two murky miles below the ocean's surface. This is a fizz.org article, Faith E. Pino, from the LA Times, put this article together. I've actually seen video of this. Um, I don't know if it's in this article, but it says a remotely operated vehicle called the Hercules was exploring the foothills of the Davidson Seamount, an underwater volcano about 90 miles southwest of Monterey. Aboard the boat carrying researchers uh, monitoring the Hercules, it was expected to be a fairly boring dive, said Chad King, the chief scientist of the 2018 cruise. Um, but then, uh, just as Hercules crossed over a ridge, a curious sight floated across the screen. Small, almost iridescent bulbs clinging to the seamount wall. The scientist directed Hercules down farther into the depths. And sure enough, there it was. We ran into thousands and thousands of octopus. And we are just absolutely floored. We were just giddy, says King. Um, the scientists, led by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, so on the shirts is a plaque that extends out past the shoulders wider than my field of view. <laughs> exactly. Um, they have 12-foot desks just so the name plaque can be 
properly affixed. Um, anyway, it had alighted upon what they call an octopus garden. The images they captured revealed nearly 6,000 octopuses, leading scientists to estimate the total population of the area could exceed 20,000. That's a lot. That seems like about 19,999 too many <laughs> in one area. <laughs> I've always wanted an octopus, um, but like many other animals, I realized that they're wild animals and they should be respected and left alone in their natural habitat. Um, and there's rare times where I think that humans should intervene. And that's usually when we're going to lose the species altogether. Um, so the researchers visited octopus garden more than a dozen times to find out and a study published last week in the journal science advances shows they solved one part of the mystery. The pearl octopus came to the Davidson Seamount they discovered to nestle in the warm crooks of its wall and brood baby octopuses. So it's like okay, a nursery. But still, why are there so many? <laughs> like, like, did they send out a call like across oceans and they all It might be up? genetic I memory. Mean, you know, like whales going from one place to another because true. they've been taught that way. It's always been um but uh yeah it's a it's an octopus nursery what a trip this is what i was talking about that we just we have so much to still discover yet we sit there and gripe at each but yeah, other yeah we're destroying things that we're not even we haven't even discovered and we're eliminating things that we're not even aware of yep um so really fascinating i'm glad that people are doing this kind of research I hope that they document it well and, and then leave it alone. Don't, don't sit there and poke and prod and contaminate. So they speed up the egg development process um, because of the warm water. Pretty cool. Researchers found that octopus eggs in the area hatch in less than two years, far less than the estimated five to eight years uh, it takes in colder temperatures. So there you go. That's probably why. So then they're basically exponential, um, um, birth right i mean yeah. i don't know what that comes out to but over time that could be a lot more than you would expect so maybe that explains the huge number uh rando says um what we feel is the same sentiment it is impressive that mankind does not know about the deep sea Mankind just, uh, and, and we have limited technology that can go deep enough and surveil it with enough quality so that we actually see enough. And it's kind of like space. We see 1% of it and then we, we have to wait years um, and develop some other technology to send it out and look in another direction. Um, we see just a fraction at any given moment. And then it changes, you know, our exact location is kind of shifting from time to time. Um, pretty fascinating that people are looking in while others are looking out. I love this kind of stuff. So, um, always a pleasure to find something really neat. Scientists still don't know where the grapefruit sized octopuses came from or how they knew, uh, to settle against the, 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 uh, Davidson Seamount's warm rocks. But over years of monitoring them, they watched the octopuses mate, settle, brood and hatch new offspring. So I guess basically they they're treating it as a, an incubator and a nursery and um, like a, an octopus equivalent of a hive, you know, they all just hang out there and get along. 
pretty neat. There's a whole lot more here at this article, by the way. Um, so let me throw it in chat. Totally forgot to do that again. Sorry, y'all. Still, we drill and spill oil down there. Yep. Hey, Rando. Then they do this. This is and this is the nutty part, right? Like people freak out about an oil spill, and so the company sprinkles this um, material on the oil. The oil congeals into big blobs and sinks, and then the company goes, "See, we solved it." But meanwhile, there's blobs of oil on right, the ocean floor. Right, just contaminating and killing the sea life. And then people are surprised that, you know, um, massive die-off of sea urchins and coral and fish and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we salt it. Yeah, that's right, Rando. <laughs> and, and then the stock price goes up, you know, just goes up a little bit. Hey, look. Out of sight, out of mind. It's the same mentality about, well, if you don't test, then there's obviously not a pandemic. Don't test. It all goes away. It's like a miracle. Anyway, go and check out that article over at fizz.org. They'll like some more traffic. Let's keep going. This one is fun. Four Wheel Tech is the channel. Um, it's a, a channel that's all about, obviously, um, vehicles with at least four wheels, but all the... That's not quite true because I've highlighted motorcycles in this too. Go ahead. So what movie does this headline make you think of? Uh, sneakers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. I wish that it was a bread truck, but it's not. Um, X NASA. I keep reading it as NSA surveillance van. Uh, it used to be the name of my Wi-Fi hotspots. NSA surveillance van. <laughs> that one was always really interesting because there was a, this is before I moved to Ometown. Um, there was a very well-known criminal uh, in the neighborhood, and I changed my Wi-Fi access points to uh, NSA surveillance van, and I, I might have drawn some attention, unwanted attention, <laughs> long, a long time ago. Anyway, so uh, there's a 2006 Ford Econoline for sale for $27,000 X NASA surveillance van with retractable roof cameras goes on sale yesterday afternoon. The author of this article over at Ars Technica, we'll get to them in a second, uh, came across a rather intriguing bit of government surplus courtesy of the fine people at Autopian or Autopian. How would you pronounce that? Autopian or Autopian? Anyway, Autopian, but I Autopian. don't know. Yeah. Um, Normally, a Ford Econoline E250 van would not be the sort of thing to warrant even a cocked eyebrow. But this particular gray van is not your average Econoline. It's a fully kitted out surveillance wagon. However, it's not one of those vans that sometimes shows up on lists of SSIDs. So I wonder if that's... Yeah, why do I see FBI surveillance van in my Wi-Fi list? It's because you have a numbskull like me living near you. So let's go over to the source. Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author. This is the unmarked surveillance van, surveillance van. Um, this is the kind of vehicle that if it showed up in your neighborhood, somebody would tag it with you know, surveillance van. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of looks kind of weird, right? Oh, it absolutely does. It's, it yeah, it's not out. what I expected, but yeah, it definitely stands out. Just wait till you see the inside because I've already looked. 
Um, so this is over at Ars Technica. Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author, and um, that's what it looks like inside. I'll I'll just be honest with you. This this looks like a 1970s vehicle um, used oh, for yeah. surveillance. Out of like, an old movie, right? Yeah. Like an old action movie or something. Yeah, this is the thing that was across the street from Nixon, you know, Watergate. Right, it might be, <laughs> <laughs> but it says NASA. I that's what I don't get. NASA. I I don't I don't get it. Fully kitted I mean, out. What is NASA surveilling aliens on the other planets? Or <laughs> yeah, it says it's time government service was spent surveilling stuff for NASA. For sale in Chicago, a 2006 Econoline E250 has remarkably few miles on the odometer, just 1,863. This thing is easily worth $27,000. Um, but they say that there's problems with it, um, mainly because it's really hard to change the spark plugs on it, I guess. Maybe you have to drop the engine. I don't know. Um, but the $27,000 asking price is a lot higher than price guides suggest for an example of that vintage. But those price guides don't consider the retractable cameras, radios, audio, and video recorders and monitors that take up much of this van's interior. Um, it has a manufactured for NASA protective innovative surveillance plaque uh, listed on it. That's weird. It's, the, it's actually making me wonder if it's legit. <laughs> Is this legit? So well, hopefully, look what it says under the photo. Might a NASA surveillance van have been keeping tabs on aliens? Yeah. <laughs> See? Right there in Coral Springs, Florida, which has its own little questions about it. Um, given the par perilous state of Google searches, I'm not sure if there's already EV conversions available for Ford E-Series vans of this vintage, but swapping that v8 and its associated bits and pieces for an electric motor and a bunch of lithium-ion batteries would be would up the cool factor significantly yeah i don't know this is really interesting huh yeah i don't i can't quite figure out why this van existed <laughs> Protective and i think it's just interesting that it's for sale it says protective services enforces state and federal laws and administrative regulations providing emergency medical care, fire and rescue services and providing an appropriate incident response to any situation. <laughs> NASA. I huh. mean, okay, maybe for launches or something, but I don't know. That's wild. And how did it end up out in the private sector fully kitted out like that? Someone has some uh, questions uh, for you about your surveillance van there. Okay, let's keep on hustling. Um, this one I've titled, uh, No Thanks, I Don't Want to Be Aquaman. Um, Japanese ministers eat Fukushima fish to show it's safe after nuclear plant wastewater is discharged. This is something that we talked about just the other day. Um, Japanese ministers... Uh, eat the Fukushima fish from, this is an article over at Quartz or QZ.com. Uh, Marie Yamaguchi from Associated Press posted this article. You know what? 
the, the deck statement says Japan's Prime Minister uh, Fumio Kishida and three cabinet ministers have eaten Fukushima fish, uh, sashimi, and not sushi, because sushi is the rice. I talked about that yesterday. Um, at a lunch meeting in an apparent effort to show that fish is safe following the release of treated radioactive wastewater from the Fukushima Daiichi uh, nuclear power plant. So if you don't know about it, it basically cracked. Um, and and uh, now they're discharging its nuclear coolant. Um, so And they're going to take 30 years to do it. Because it's a continuous stream of water in and out of the nuclear power plant. Uh, because it what I don't get is why hasn't somebody filed for an injunction to stop this? Like before, because they, they announced that they were going to do this. Maybe it's not an option. Because they have to decommission it. Otherwise, it's going to be perpetually in danger of going super critical. Right, but I guess what I don't get is why this dumping it into the ocean have to be the only way to to deal with it. Because you're talking about 30 years worth of water flow. Right. They would. I mean, I know we talked about that on the other article. Yeah, they would never be able to store that amount of water anywhere, um, and it would all be hot, slightly, apparently. Um, so the release of the treated waste water into the ocean, uh, which began Thursday and is expected to continue for decades, had has strongly been opposed by fishing groups and by neighboring countries. China immediately banned all imports of Japanese seafood in response. In South Korea, thousands of people joined rallies over the weekend to condemn the discharge. And uh, we know that fish um, respect international borders. They do. Come on. Of course, they just you just hold up your hand and say stop, and the fish goes oh, okay, all right. I'll I'll turn around. Um, it says it's extremely regrettable and we are concerned. Matsuno said, um, Japan's foreign ministry issued a travel advisory on Sunday urging Japanese citizens to use extreme caution in China, citing an escalation of harassments and violent protests over the discharge of the wastewater. Yeah, everybody should be pissed about this, but there's nothing. That's the problem. There's nothing else really to do because it has to be decommissioned. And to do that, they're following a particular procedure. I'm not sure what else they could do. Um, many of the, but I'm not a nuclear scientist, so I, I can't, I don't, I, I can't tell what else would be an option. Um, so treated radioactive wastewater has accumulated since the March 2011 meltdown at the nuclear plant caused by a massive earthquake and tsunami. It totals 1.34 million tons and is stored in about a thousand tanks. Government, Jap uh, Japan's government and Tokyo Electric Power Company holdings say the water held in the tanks is taking up much of the plant area and must be removed to free up space to build facilities for the plant's cleanup and decommissioning, which are also expected to take decades um, yeah, this is the only thing I can say as a positive is it's going to be easier to catch the fish at night. All right. I mean, they're going to glow. Glowfish. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is about a tourist that tried to get stoned in Sardinia. It's a different type of stoning though. Um, 
So over in hometown daily, tourist arrested after police find 90 pounds of pebbles in his trunk. Talk about junk in your trunk. You got 90 pounds of junk in your trunk? No, it's just pebbles. I was thinking how long it must have taken to pick up all those pebbles. Yeah, and along the way, did anybody say, hey, did you know that what you're doing has been illegal since 2017? (laughs) (laughs) Removing sand, pebbles, and shells from beaches in Sardinia have been against the law since 2017, when probably the first person walked up to Sardinia and said, hey, let me pick up some of these pebbles and throw it in a glass jar and sell it on eBay or Etsy. (laughs) Right, exactly. So the article is over at... um, newsweek.com jess thompson is the author uh, there's a video let me throw did i throw the japanese um nuke stuff octopus so that's the octopus look at that i neglected a yet again to throw the articles <sighs> one of these days maybe i can automate this so when i say certain things it'll automatically post it I kind of do that with a bot, maybe. We'll see. Um, Anyway, uh, Jess Thompson over at Newsweek put this article together. A French tourist was attempting to return to Nice via a ferry from Porto Torres uh, in the northwest of the island when he was stopped by Italian customs agents. He had in his trunk 90 pounds, 41 kilos of pebbles and stones from Lampano Beach, yeah, I've heard of that beach. Why do I know that beach? Um, Northwest, which were seized and will be put back in place exactly where he took them. One by one, 90 pounds are going to be deposited back on the beach. The AI is just throwing a message like, what are you talking about? Pretty much. <laughs> See, each one of these little pebbles is going to be placed on the beach in the GPS coordinate. That it was assigned. Sardinia right. is a large. They're going to have to put it in the imprint. You know, That's it's right. like one of those, like a kid's puzzle where it shows where the pieces go. That's right. Very frustrated by trying to put the square peg in the round hole, too. So, uh, Sardinia is a large Italian island in the Mediterranean, as known for its gorgeous white sand beaches, which are so precious that since 2017, it's been illegal for tourists to remove sand or rocks. This move was made to protect the beaches from being eroded away, a process that is accelerated if tourists remove the damn sand themselves, which falls into the no-shit news at 10.15. Sandy beaches are one of the main attractions of Sardinia. There are two threats. One is due to erosion, which is partly natural and partly induced by the increasing sea level due to climate change. We talk about it a lot, but... Anyway, the second is sand stealing by tourists. Wow. You wouldn't. I mean, I didn't even really realize that was a thing. If everybody comes and takes 90 pounds, though, you can imagine that things would be just. Well, right. (laughs) I remember there was an issue with people taking sea glass. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was from the West Coast, but this is a new one. Yeah, there's a lot. There, there's various places that have laws that prohibit taking uh, driftwood or sea glass. Um, this one is anything. I mean, for crying out loud, if everybody just starts scooping up stuff, only a fraction. That's of the a tourists. really beautiful beach. I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of Sardinia. 
Yeah, and they get a lot of tourists. So th- this is what the the article is saying. What we are saying, um, we just don't we don't read the articles until we're actually talking to y'all about the, these things. Um, only a fraction of the tourists visiting Sardinia spend their time digging up to forty kilograms of sand each. That's an odd phrase, but if you multiply half that times 5% of the 1 million tourists per year in a few years, that would contribute significantly to the reduction of beaches. The main okay, reason... wait a second. Why would you take half and then multiply it? <laughs> like, it's just such an odd calculation. It reminds because me of that SNL skit with all the numbers. The Bank of Change, is that one? or No, it's like... Oh, yeah, dial 300 is like the whatever... Yeah, uh, it's the the uh, telephone discount. Yes, yes. Ten ten fourteen ninety two seven. Um, yeah, I was thinking of uh, other bank ones. of change. Yeah, bank of change, and there was another one, but anyway, you got me distracted. Um, so the fine for taking sand, pebbles, or shells from the beach can range from five hundred euro to three thousand euro. Um. In terms of freedom bucks, that's 544 to 3,265. So that sand is expensive. There is a proper online market and demand is high for sand from Sardinia. Most of the buyers are sand collectors. Carlo Lazari, the group commander of Olbia Financial Police, told The Guardian in 2021 so this is an ongoing concern. You have to be a real numbnuts to just go there and start scooping up sand thinking that you're going to get away with it. When they've known about it for seven years. I mean, come on, folks. Um, leave it how you find it. Leave no trace. When the police arrived, the couple denied it and even tried to hide the bottle under a beach towel. Andrea Abbas, the mayor of the town of Cabras, told The Guardian, it beggars believe, but unfortunately, this isn't a rare occurrence. That was when a family in 2021 um, decided to try and snatch some of that um, lucrative sand. All right. I mean, why don't they make it a criminal to sell it? Well, they do. I mean, there's a market for it and apparently, but I don't know what that process is. So it's okay to a certain amount, but not if everybody is just willy nilly. It's artificial scarcity to protect the market, right? The market is the tourists coming to the beaches, leave the natural environment alone. So tourists come and visit. If the beaches are all in somebody else's living room in little jars, Right. It's going to destroy the economy <laughs> when their economy is built around tourism. So, uh, Randa says uh, selling is global and picking it up is local, so easier to police it locally. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad observation there. Um, and I, I suppose if you acquire it legally, the provenance is you can sell it. But they, they say in the article that there's a market for it. Not a market, but an actual market for them to actually sell it. Um, so 90 pounds. Yeah, Rando says, but still 90 pounds. That's a lot of junk in your trunk, buddy. Um, have you been to Sardinia lately? Because you got a 90 pounds of junk in your trunk. Let's keep going. Last article for tonight, folks. 
This one's in the Warcrafters channel, a uh, 1 of 500 limited edition Starfield graphics card and CPU bundle is up for auction. They said you couldn't buy them, but now here's your chance to purchase one. AMD's limited edition Starfield graphics card and CPU bundles, including a Radeon RX 7900 XTX all clad in white with rainbow highlights and a neatly uh, neatly boxed but otherwise entirely regular Ryzen 7 7800 X3D. This rare bundle is likely to sell for a whole lot of cash. Last time I looked at it, by the way, it was already close to $4,000. Thankfully, that cash doesn't appear to be going straight into the hands of a reseller looking to make a quick buck. The eBay listing um, spotted by a user on Reddit via video cards says that all proceeds are going elsewhere. Let's go and check out where they're going. Jacob Ridley is the author of this article over at PCGamer.com. Um, it says that the sale will go to charity. I don't know what charity. Let's see if it actually says it. Um, Mental Drive Incorporated, a nonprofit organization committed to promoting inclusivity, diversity, and mental health awareness. Here's hoping that money makes it into the right hands. Only 500 of these component bundles were produced to commemorate the imminent launch of Bethesda Sci-Fi RPG. However, they were distributed almost exclusively among competition winners. I was not one of those winners. Um, yeah, I don't know like uh, how that competition even existed. So I... I dig the color scheme for the card, by the way. Let's see if, is there another picture of it somewhere? Um, no, just these two. Anyway, it's kind of like the this 70s sedate color scheme. Not really vibrant. Almost um, kind of like a pastel style. It's pretty cool. Um, and uh, I think um, there are, jackets and other things out there now i might have to get something because i'm really into the i love the idea of starfield i don't know um it, how it's gonna play um, there's a lot of people that are poo-pooing it i wouldn't want to put this in my machine for crying out loud this thing <laughs> i don't know i wouldn't want it to get dirty or scratched or anything i'm not a collector of things either like toys that I buy I want to play with Lego that I buy I want to play with um, and uh, this I don't know if I would want to even like use it there's just something wrong with that I don't know <laughs> unless you have an entire that is computer. so contrary to what you would do with other things you might buy yeah oh yeah I know uh, and I use them but I treat them like a, a with kid gloves like a baby um, that way, eventually, I'll I'll sell them on so that other people can use them as I upgrade because I, I swap out equipment quite a bit. Um, and uh, but this, I don't know. I'd probably just give it to somebody because a I don't need it, <laughs> and uh, b I wouldn't want it just idling, and I wouldn't put I wouldn't even bother putting it in another system uh, because I'd have to build an entire computer around this. So I'm not sure what this is going for now. So um, 
I threw that article in there into the chat. I'll throw this article into chat. Um, if you all want to go and check that out and let me know uh, where it's at now, uh, go for it. But the last time I saw it, it was somewhere around $3,800 or $3,700. Um, we'll see if um, PCGamer.com gives it the PC Gamer bump. Or is it the PC Gamer pump? I'm not sure. Mm. What do you think? Well, I was trying to find it to see. Um, it looks like the most expensive Starfield graphics card right now is at one one seven seven, but maybe the other one sold. Hold on, it's at thirty six fifty. So, oh, that's weird. I had searched. Um, just by keyword and it didn't show up yeah i followed the link Doink. there you go folks there you go okay anyway that is it for tonight we are just uh a day away now from Starfield being released, it will release at 8 p.m. Eastern, East Coast time, 5 o'clock uh, West Coast time. Let's see, uh, Rando says, um, it is a neat idea to have a themed hardware. I, I wish it would be more of a thing than generic hardware. Yeah, something a little more amped up, right? Um, but they charge an arm and a leg for everything that is not stock. Yeah, pretty much. It is what it is. Um, but I don't know. 3500 bucks for that is a little bit much. I wouldn't be able to justify it. But I'm hoping that Starfield is as amazing as the hype is making me want it to be. Um, but other than that, that's it. All right, folks. We have come to that time where we drag you kicking and screaming back to Main Street and we mash that welcome button and it refreshes and lets us have a look at the news that is some of just a small amount of the news that has come in. Um, let's see. Wow. A Michigan rate of illegal gambling joint leads to seizure of 50 gaming devices. Huh. What else? Anything else going on? Um, SAG AFTRA to extend healthcare coverage for members who lost work because of WGA strike. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. So, how many weeks are we into that now? Good God. Wow. Maybe about two months. Oh, really? Wow. I mean, I'm just estimating. Uh, um, let's see. FDA sends warning letters. That's something that we already talked about. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, we're about, we're almost at four months. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's going to keep on going until, uh, the whole AI thing and, and, um, streaming rights actually kick in. So this is interesting. Feds mm. investigate Tesla's use of funds for secret 
quote-unquote glass house project <laughs> that sounds like the glass onion <laughs> right yeah i don't know what that is but oh that's funny well we'll have to we'll we'll um look at that we'll put that in the list and if you come up with any sources or articles that you think would be interesting to talk about in tomorrow's show that has taken place over the next 24 hours, um, send an email to mayor at hometown.com. We'll take a look at it. Um, let's see. Oh no. Wonder Woman and Superman will share the same tragic fate. Losing to the MCU. Sorry. Sorry, DC. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's a lot. You can get a, this came in right before the show started, but is part of the 24 hours. So. Okay, folks, that's it. We are all set. And uh, we'll come back tomorrow, 9 p.m., do another show. Um, and then immediately after that, I will be playing until I probably fall unconscious um, or somebody calls me for a meeting, um, on Friday morning. So I, I'll be, I'll be charging right into this. I already told people that I'm outy. So we'll see if, uh, that gets respected as mayor of hometown. I have, um, uh, thousands of bosses, thousands. And but they... you're supposed to be the boss. Oh no, no, no. The mayor is actually uh, always working for the population of Omtown, and I only seek to uh, make Omtown better for you. Uh, not you, AI. You're like me. You're, you, you just work for all of the citizens. So, okay, folks, that's it for today. I am Merwat. That is Omtown.com. Up there is the AI that's going to say bye and maybe a few other things. Um, good evening, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. I have no other things to say. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> hey, Rando. Thank you for hanging out. Really do appreciate it. Um, for everybody else that might be out and chatting and lurking, thank you very much for hanging out. Be sure to follow. Um, go over to YouTube, like and subscribe. Go over and download the podcast. All of this stuff helps us out tremendously. Um, including a, like a five-star. If you post a five-star review of uh, the hometown podcast, I will read it verbatim as long as it isn't, um, uh, uh, what do you want? Offensive. Obscene. Obscene. <laughs> there you go. Obscene is probably a more accurate word. Um, but other than that, um, stay awesome, everybody. See you tomorrow. <laughs>